You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Well, we have a bunch of exciting stuff to talk about this week. Not the least of which, Manny, why don't you explain to the people what the fuck they just heard? I know, weird, right? So we have an intro theme to our episode, well, not to our episode, to our podcast, uh, sadly, most likely the uh, anybody out there with a good ear or any type of uh, editing skills is probably uh, gouging their ears out and uh, out of fear, sheer frustration over how shitty that sounded because I was the one that made that intro theme. Uh, it sounds horrible. I don't care. It was the best I can do. I'm not an audiophile. You know what, Manny? Those sorts of people, you don't need to worry about them. They're a bunch of negative Nancys. And, you know, the true fans, the longtime listeners of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast, myself included, will appreciate the hard work and dedication you put into that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, my friends. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I am actually uh, – I'm not, not, I'm not going to say I'm proud of it, but I'm, I'm excited it's there. If anybody out there, if any of our half our half dozen or dozen listeners uh, feel that they can do a much better job, we are more than happy to accept any and all themes that want to be submitted to us. I will echo that sentiment. But that is not the only thing podcast-related that you've been hard at work on, Manny. What else did you have in the works this week? Well, to try and get things moving forward for our little podcast, uh, we are now on Spotify. <laughs> Airhorn. This is this is where we need uh we definitely need a soundboard here. It's definitely <laughs> okay. an airhorn spot. I'll add that I'll I'll when we get the budget for it, I'll I'll add to it for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but we are on Spotify, um because we're a, a smaller pod uh smaller podcast. Uh only uh the the most recent the ten most recent episodes are available uh for download and for listening on Spotify, but uh you can find us on Spotify. All you have to do is search uh, Samuel and Manual Movie Podcast and it comes right up. We've finally made the big time. Yes. And given that we have made the big time, we felt it uh necessary to market ourselves a little better and to get out there in the social media landscape that is uh booming in twenty eighteen. So, we also have uh, an Instagram and a Twitter account set up. Again, this is where the air horns would come in if we had them uh, in the budget. <laughs> That's true. So, you guys can uh, can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie, uh, both Twitter and Instagram. Um, so, you can, uh, you can contact us and chat to us through there. Both Sam and Manny will be on both of those accounts. Yes, indeed. Um yeah, so that's a lot of exciting new developments. Uh, we hope people follow us there. We'll do our best to keep a social media presence. Manny does all the fucking work around here. Who are we kidding? <laughs> uh, he posts a lot to Facebook as well, so I uh, hopefully will try to take some of the load off of his shoulders in, uh, in the Twitter and Instagram sphere. I am of the generation that supposedly is good at this sort of thing. but I know, right? Who, who, who can tell? Not me. <laughs> um, 
one other thing I guess we should uh, talk about. Um, this is somewhat unrelated to what we were just talking about, but we should give our, our guy Chards a shout out for last week. Uh, he came on the podcast and uh, and really killed it uh, in a, in a guest appearance that will go down in Samuel and Manuel movie podcast history um, as one of the the top two great appearances of all time. <laughs> I know it's so great. He'll either get the gold or the silver medal right yeah. now on uh, as our guest appearances. Uh, yeah, it was really awesome having uh, Mike on last week. Uh, Charged like like for those of you that listen, uh, is a very old friend of mine. Uh, he's been chomping at the bit to get on the show. Uh, I loved having him on. I had such a great time with him here. Um, and, uh, I would love, I did get some feedback from, uh, a couple other listeners, um, that really enjoyed Mike. They found him really funny and very engaging. Uh, so Mike, thank you for joining us. We, we, uh, we really loved having you on and we're looking forward to you coming back for another episode. Yeah. Thanks a ton. Charge, charge, charge. Oh my God. It's 10, (laughs) nearly 11 here in Calgary. Whatever. We don't have it in the budget for an editor. So it's staying in. I know. It's staying in. (laughs) Thank you, charge for coming on and, uh, enlightening us on inception you definitely had some interesting stuff to say but um chards also introduced a, an interesting segment last week where he was sort of posing questions to us and we found it kind of fun and yeah. i think there's a lot of things that our baker's dozen fans uh, would like to know about us so uh we're also introducing another segment potentially in the next couple of weeks here uh no not the- a segment a whole episode Yes, sorry, uh, an entire episode. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. Uh, why don't you tell the people about that? Yeah, uh, in a couple weeks here, we're going to do our first ever mailbag episode. Um, I've been getting a couple questions from some of our listeners throughout the times uh, and have kind of just played it off, um, kind of passed it off on, you know, we'll get around to it kind of thing. But uh, with Mike asking a couple really great questions last week to us, it, it kind of really um, – gave me an idea so to do a whole episode where we will answer the fans' questions. Um, I have a couple questions already lined up for us uh, in case this uh, us asking the fans for questions flops hard, um, like a soccer player with a, a kick to the heel. Um, we're going to do a whole episode where we just answer fan questions. Um, so if you would like to submit some questions for Sam and I to answer, um, you can contact us through our Instagram or Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie uh, or through our um, our Facebook or through email which is Sam Manny movie podcast at gmail.com or you can just text us because most of the people who listen are basically just friends, just our friends. <laughs> except for one person who was listening from Sweden you said right yeah there's <laughs> there's one listener out there who I, I I'm I'm assuming it's the same person every time <laughs> Um, I, I, I would say a very loyal listener, not fully loyal. Cause I've noticed a couple times he skipped a couple episodes, but, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's somebody in Sweden or a, a group of people in Sweden that listen to us and it makes me giggle. So if, if you're <laughs> listening, uh, Mr. Or Mrs. Sweden, uh, please, I would love for you to submit a question, um, from, uh, from across the pond. I wish I wish I knew some Swedish so I could <laughs> so we could so butcher like, it horribly and they stop listening completely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. But yeah, we so, would yeah. really we would really love to hear from you, listeners. Uh, please submit a question, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna answer all of the ones that are. So, I shouldn't say all of them in case we get. An, an, we're gonna go through the best ones and and answer as many as we can to, for that episode. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, so, with all of the housekeeping out of the way, I say we dive right into it. Uh, today's episode, what do you think, Manny? I do. Uh, we have a little bit of a change of pace for this week's episode. Uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but one of us wasn't prepared for our original idea, so we came up with a quick fix, and we're going to be redoing uh, one we did uh, a while ago. Uh, we're going to just kind of catch up on what we've been watching. Yes, of course, uh, Manny's referring to himself, just a lazy sack of shit, uh, unable to watch the movies this week. Oh, wait, that was me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Life did get in the way just a smidge, so uh, luckily enough, Manny and I have been uh, waiting uh, waiting for an opportunity to do an episode like this again. It's always a lot of fun when we do, just sort of a free-form, what we've been watching sort of thing. Uh, Believe it or not, Manny and I don't have lives outside of this podcast and outside of movies, um, so when we're not watching movies for this podcast, we're just kind of watching movies and TV shows in general. So, uh, we are just going to kind of go through the lists and, uh, shoot the shit and, yep. uh, go, go back to, go back to basics as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sam, why don't you start us off? Sam, what have you been watching? <laughs> well, Manny, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I hate that line. Um, I have a bunch of stuff written down here. Some of it I'll go in depth and some of it I won't. Okay. Um, Real quick, I, I guess I should just say, um, had a movie night with some of my friends the other night. Shout out to Emma, Jordan, and Cam. Uh, hey, Emma, Jordan, and Cam! Uh, we did cross a couple movies off the list uh, on Netflix. So with The Crimes of Grindelwald having come out, which I'll actually get to in a second, we did watch uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone that night. Uh, Cam and Emma had not seen it, and Jordan is a big Harry Potter nerd, and I have, of course, seen the series um, so we went ahead and watched that. Uh, I don't have the info in front of me because why would I be prepared for something like this? Um, what do you, what do you want to know about it? Oh, just the year. Is it 2001? Correct. 2001. 2001. Okay. Direct, directed by Chris Columbus and, uh, written by JK Rowling, obviously based off her novel and Steve Cloves. Ooh, thank you. Manny's Six, all over it. 64 Metascore. Yeah, I, I'd say that's, uh... That sounds kind of low to someone who's a fan of the Harry Potter series, but in all honesty, it in retrospect, it's sort of one of the weaker entries in the series. Not that it's bad. I, I definitely enjoyed it still. But when I was a kid, it was obviously more magical, especially when it was fresh. Um, there are some... There are some I, I shouldn't even say there's some issues with it. It's just a kid's movie, which is fine. There are kid's movies that are good, but it's it's pretty surface level, mm-hmm. um, whereas the later uh, Harry Potter movies get a little bit more in-depth. But for the most part, it's just good magical fun. There's fun sequences. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe hasn't quite tuned into his acting chops yet, as well as a couple of the other uh, young actors and actresses. Uh, one of the exceptions, I think Emma Watson is like, plays a stuck-up bitch so well as, like, an 11-year-old. I really like her performances, Hermione, even in the early movies. Um, but You've read the books, that, too, right, Sam? Is that correct? I'm sorry? You've read the books, too, as well? Yeah, that's right. I was a, I was a Harry Potter nerd. Uh, not as in-depth as some of my friends, but I definitely read the entire series, definitely watched the entire series. Um, it's been a long time, so I couldn't even tell you how they compare. But, uh, but yeah, I, I've been a Harry Potter fan my entire life. I was doing the uh, the whole midnight release thing uh, for the sixth and seventh book. Uh, and then d- I don't think I did that for any of the movies. But yeah, the first one doesn't hold up quite as well, but it has some enjoyable moments. There's one part at the end. There's, I'm going to go into a minor spoiler here, but it's Harry Potter, so fuck you. And it's well, only it's real spoiler. 17-year-old spoiler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For an incredibly 
massively popular franchise. So if you haven't seen that, you can really go fuck yourself right now. Exactly. Like like Manny. Even Manny's seen this one. Yeah. The only one I've seen, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's a part at the end, there's like a B plot. So the A plot is obviously the kids uh, trying to find the Sorcerer's Stone and uh, they have to they have an encounter with Voldemort as they do in like all the movies except for the third one. But the B plot... Spoilers! <laughs> I didn't say what happens in the A plot. Okay. <laughs> but there's a B plot where uh, there's like a house cup. So basically teachers and professors and whoever can just sort of assign the different houses points and take away points how they see fit. They can do it for anything from being adding points to you know, adding points for being smart and getting answers right to taking away points for just being a general asshole in class or something like that. So the house cups like a big deal for uh for Hogwarts. And then at the end, Slytherin's winning the house cup and Dumbledore just assigns like 100 points to Gryffindor just like for nothing. He's like, because Slytherin's like the de facto villains of the movie, I guess. And then Dumbledore's like, oh, by the way, fuck Slytherin, Gryffindor wins, essentially. And it's just, it's like, these kids are 11. And he basically just fucked over this entire house. So that's always struck me as, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit upsetting. But yeah, that's all I have to say about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I have a lot more to talk about, so I'm not going to take this much time on all of them, I don't think. That's fair. We do um, have a lot to go through. Um, yeah. Like, like, I have seen this movie, but I haven't seen it since 2001. So that's yeah. why I was kind of pretty much silent throughout the whole talking of it because I don't remember shit. I honestly remember next to nothing on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I would definitely recommend giving it a rewatch. And I mean, the 64 Metascore is honestly fair in my opinion. It's nothing. Maybe it's just that it's 17 years old and it's a little bit stale, but it, it didn't really recapture the magic for me. But again, I'm also 22 years old and essentially an old bitter man at this point. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. But we also watched later that night uh, one of my all-time favorite comedies, such a good movie, uh, and that would be the, I believe, I want to say 2007 classic. Uh, that's super bad. You are spot on. 2007, sir. I'm two for two. Yep. Uh, directed by Greg Matola, written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, 76 Metascore. Yeah, so higher Metascore than Harry Potter, which I, I, I agree with personally, but I'm kind of surprised by. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite comedies. It's one of the most ridiculously quotable movies in the world. Uh, it's, uh, it, it has a very good uh, plot to it in the sense that it doesn't. It's not just a series of wacky antics. It does sort of uh, have a reason for doing everything that it's doing. And there's a couple of even really touching scenes towards the end of this movie. Uh, and it's mostly about the brotherhood that these two friends, Michael, Sarah, and Jonah Hill, um, Seth and Evan, or sorry, uh, yeah, Seth and Evan uh, have. But it's also about them finishing up high school and having to go their separate ways. And it's really touching and really heartbreaking, especially towards the end. Um, but Obviously, the main appeal of this movie is just how fucking hilarious it is. There's a number of iconic scenes. Uh, the one that comes to mind for me is the uh, the dick drawing scene, uh, <laughs> which is just absolutely hysterical. Um, I've quoted this movie with my friends endlessly. The other scene that I, I guess I can... Kind of a spoiler, not really. Um, towards the end of the movie, after they've done their thing, they've, they've both tried to get the girl and they've both failed... Um, 
they go back to I think Seth's house and they, they they have like a sleepover. They have like mattresses on the floor and they're both wasted from this party. And all they do is sit there and tell each other how much they love each other and how they're really sad that they're going to separate schools. And they just kind of express themselves, even though it's they're drunk and it's played for comedy. It's also a really really touching moment. So um, yeah, man, you've seen you've seen Superbad, right? Oh, numerous times. Uh, I remember when Superbad came out, I was super excited to go see it. Super excited. <sighs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> and and I loved it. Um, f- for me, I think my favorite scene, there's so there is so many great scenes. This movie's not as iconic as it is for me because I was a lot older, obviously, when it came out. Um, but one of the things I loved is much like uh, much like Clerks was for me, I feel it's super bad is for a lot of people around your age and a little bit older. Um, when Clerks came out, um, and it's one of the reasons that uh, Kevin Smith made Clerks, is that he found that nobody in the movies was talking the way that him and his friends were. And so he put that on film. When Superbad came out, it reminded me that opening scene when they're in the convenience store... They're just ragging on each other, saying ridiculous shit, like making fun of one another, but you can tell that these guys love each other. That is exactly the way I am with my friends. And when I saw it on screen again, it just reminded me how rare it is to see things like that on film. Um, And so I fell in love with it. Um, This movie's not as quotable as it is for, for, for you. Um, but that doesn't diminish my love for this movie. Um, it's just fantastic throughout. Uh, a super simple plot, um, but everyone's having a great time. If if anybody hasn't seen Superbad, they really need to. They do do yourself a favor, watch it, and get ready to just laugh your ass off. Yeah, there's a number of scenes that I just like could recite at this point. The num like the number of times I've seen this movie. Uh, the opening scene where they uh, they're talking about which porn site Seth should subscribe to when he's going off to college is so fucking hilarious, and they're like full on having a debate of like the pros and cons of each porn website. <laughs> it's it gets me every time. There's also a cameo by Greg Fr- or sorry, uh, Greg uh, Dave Franco in this movie. His character's name is Greg. Uh, he has like two lines. Uh, I don't. Do you even remember what part that is? By the way, it's by it's like Dave Franco. Yeah, but Dave Franco is in this movie, briefly. Uh, nope, not off the top of my head. There's a scene where uh, Seth and Evan are on a soccer field, and they're talking about the party, and uh, D- Greg, played oh. by Dave Franco, walks by and goes, come on, Evan, we're down by three points, get your head in the game. And then uh, uh, Seth says, hey, hey, Greg, why don't you go piss your pants again? <laughs> like, just makes fun of him for something that happened like eight years ago. Uh yeah, really, really fucking funny movie, and I clearly enjoy the shit out of it, and I would recommend anyone go do the same. Um, later on in the movie night, um, some now not illegal substances were broken out, and uh, we, we <laughs> took a, took a cu- couple puffs of the good stuff and put on just some feel-good Netflix stuff, and that would be uh, <laughs> uh, the, the classic show The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross, but I'm not going to get into that. That was just... Uh, that's just... If you're looking, for real, if you haven't watched an episode of The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross, it's, uh, I recommend watching at least one. It will brighten your day, but uh, I'm not going to get too into depth on that just because it's, you know, not really uh, what we talk about here. Um, oh, I didn't, even get, I didn't even get into Crimes of Grindelwald. I'm sorry, man, you're waiting patiently for your turn to talk about your movies. So no, not a, no, 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 there's no, absolutely no rush, my friend. Absolutely no rush. <laughs> 
I know you're gonna go just absolute ape shit when it's your turn, so I guess I'll I'll get my money's worth here. <laughs> um, so I also went to Crimes of Grindelwald uh, this past week, and as I mentioned, I am a Harry Potter nerd. I actually hadn't seen Fantastic Beasts, um, and now that I think about it, I did just watch that too, um, but don't really have anything prepared to say about it other than it was, you know, pretty good. <laughs> not not terrible, but the, it was, the, fir- the it was, first one. The first one, sorry, was uh, okay. Fantastic Beasts. <clears throat> was a pretty good movie. I uh, mostly just watched it to prepare for the crimes of Grindelwald, yep. but I enjoyed it. Some new, interesting uh, creatures and characters introduced. Um, Eddie Redmayne does a really good job in the uh, the role of Newt Scamander. Um, we get to see the American side of the wizarding world, which is really cool, um, which we didn't really get to see before. Overall, the first one, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, is quite good and worth a watch. It is on Netflix. Okay. Uh, then Crimes of Grindelwald comes along... Uh, it is not a good movie, like, at all. It's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It comes across, like, the middle third of this movie just has scenes that look like... I'm trying to think of a way to explain this. It feels like they just shot a bunch of scenes that they wanted to be in the movie and then edited them, to, edited them together. But, like, we suddenly find ourselves in the middle of scenes, like... Will be in one place, and then all of a sudden, Newt will be face to face with like a different be- fantastic beast that he's encountered. And you're like, "Wait, how did we get here?" The editing is just all over the fucking place. There's far too many moving parts in the plot. It's it's a fucking mess, and it's really sad. And I'm sure uh, Jordan, my friend, who's a big Harry Potter nerd, will be remiss if I don't mention that this movie just counteracts numerous other things that have been established previously in the Harry Potter universe. I've heard specifically that. about about particular spells and the effect that they'll have. And it's just, it totally lacks the continuity that you really need. So what you're saying is that this movie fucks with the lore set in the original Harry Potter. Exactly. Oh, that, that would fucking anger me beyond belief. Yeah, for sure. Like for people who are into Harry Potter, this will sound like Greek to you, Manny, but (laughs) the the spell uh, that's cast obliviate, I know has, uh, pissed a lot of people off it's a it's a memory wiping spell and the effects of it are just like completely disregarded in this movie and like that i know pissed a lot of harry potter fans off like there's one character who's obliviated in the first movie and then he comes back in this movie and he has some explanation like oh it didn't work because blah 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 and it's like that's not how so he was works. obliviated in the first fantastic beast yeah in the first fantastic beast and he he's was. back and here he... and there's a, a somewhat explanation for it I, yeah, but like, it's totally half-assed. Like what you like what you said. Obviously, I don't like. I shouldn't say I don't understand it. I know what you're talking about. I obviously don't know what Obliviate is, but I yeah. get it. It's the same kind of reaction a lot of people have to some of the changes to the Force that the prequels made. Yeah, you know, right. like like how it's it's not about it's not about being in touch with the Force. It's all about midichlorians. Yeah, fuck. Right. So fucking midichlorians. I I like I. I obviously don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I understand the themes and the problems of fucking with uh, a, a, a great series or movies lore and rules. And I hate movies that fuck with them like that. Yeah, that's the midi chlorians thing is actually a perfect example. It's just like there was this mystical thing that had no explanation. Like the Force was this very, very intriguing, mysterious thing. And then, you know, it's explained away with midi-chlorians, and it's just fucking stupid. And it's the same thing with Obliviate. It was just that I don't need an explanation of how every spell works. It's magic. We know it's magic, and it's established at the beginning of the first fucking movie that it's magic. 
And then it has like this detailed explanation, not really detailed, but just this explanation of why it's not really the way it is. And it just came off as so lazy. And that was, that was just one of the many problems in this movie. The main problem for me, like I'm more of a movie fan than I am a Harry Potter fan. Yep. The main problems for me were just in the writing. The writing is not good in this movie. There are numerous jokes that miss. There are a couple of plot points that are borderline offensive. There, the, the writing in particular and the editing in the middle third of this movie are just disastrous. So uh, I was really, really disappointed with The Crimes of Grindelwald, unfortunately. Interesting. Uh, I don't have any uh, info on it in front of me. Did you happen to look up a, a, a Metascore or anything like that? Yeah, the, it's directed by David Yates, who I think is doing the whole Fantastic Beasts series. Yeah. Um, it's written by J.K. Rowling, so your, yeah. your writing thing actually surprises me. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Metascore is 53. Yeah, the 53 seems, I guess, logical. I would even put it lower than that, personally. But, uh, yeah, I think the writing is... It does surprise me. The writing is not great in this movie. It's definitely a step back. But I've, the the middle third, as I've mentioned, just has the stench of movie executive decisions. It has the stench of a movie studio just being like, oh, what if we added a scene in here? What if we added a scene where he does this? Mm. What if we added a scene where he does this? And it just makes no sense. Uh, so that's what the that's what the middle portion of this movie feels like to me. But even so, even the stuff that is logical plot-wise is, is sometimes poorly written, including the dialogue. So uh, I I was sort of scratching my head at that one, to be honest with you. Fair enough. Um, if you're a Harry Potter diehard fan, I mean, you'll probably go see this movie no matter what I say. So fair enough. Good on you. Um, but ju- you've been warned, <laughs> I guess. Just a cu- like curiosity, because you hadn't seen the first Fantastic Beasts, what mm-hmm. made you want to go see this? Was it? W- did you go because it was a group decision, or were you actually interested in watching this because of your enjoyment of the Harry Potter franchise? No, well, I I wanted to see Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts has been on my list for a while. It didn't get like completely overwhelming reviews, but I did enjoy the uh, the first eight Harry Potter movies, so I. It definitely should have been a must-watch for me. Um, so yeah, when a couple of my friends expressed interest that they wanted to go to this movie, I thought I should just catch up and and go see it. And yeah, I I was really interested to see what the spin-off universe had done. And again, after I watched Fantastic Beasts, I was thinking, okay, like that wasn't that wasn't my favorite Harry Potter movie, but it was definitely an interesting look into it. Like flushes out the universe a little bit, you know. Okay. It, it, it introduces some new characters, elements. It does what a sequel spin-off should do, and I think that's just show you, okay, here's here's the original world. What are the consequences elsewhere of that world existing? Yeah. It doesn't change anything or fuck with anything in the originals. It just expands on it, which I which I like. Uh this did not accomplish any of that, unfortunately. Okay. So actually, I have a couple questions cuz I'm actually intrigued by all this. Sure. Um, so you, I'm just double checking. You did see the first Fantastic Beast just prior to going to this one, I, correct? I literally stopped watching Fantastic Beasts and then bought my ticket to Crimes of Grindelwald that night. Okay, so let's say, um, let's say you'd see, you 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 watched the first Fantastic Beasts and you enjoyed how it set up this new world, the side spinoff, and so mm-hmm. heading to the theater, you're like, I'm I'm going to the I, my expectations obviously weren't sky high, but you're like, I'm going to be entertained. And the movie let you down. Yeah. Now, I'm under the 100% assumption that they're making more. 
and this Crimes of Grindelwald leaves it open-ended for the next one, I'm assuming. Yes. Are you excited to see the next one? And will you go to the theater based on the on the movie you just watched? That's that's actually an interesting question. I think I think I'm willing to give it another chance. I am just cuz the first one was quite good. Okay. Um, but the second one does not make, you're right that they leave it open-ended for, uh, they, they leave it on a cliffhanger, which was sort of whatever. It was unexpected, but it I think they're doing five, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. So uh, the, the cliffhanger isn't even the reason for me to go back. And there's nothing in this movie that makes me want to go back. What makes me want to go back, honestly, is the first movie and the, the universe itself. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I, I found very little to enjoy in this movie um I, I guess if i were to if i were to find uh some places to put praise upon i would say uh newt's commander continues to be a very interesting character i like him i like how he's performed by uh, i just said his name eddie redmayne mm-hmm. um i re- really like eddie redmayne's portrayal um Outside of that, I mean, some of the side characters can be funny or can be interesting, but there's no one that really grips me. Some of them, again, with the writing, just make decisions that don't really make all that much sense. None of the performances are bad, but the, the writing of the characters certainly borders on it. Fair enough. Um, Johnny Depp is there, uh, <laughs> and that's the best way I can describe his performance. I mean, he's basically just being Johnny Depp in heavy hair and makeup, like... I don't know. So he's being I, Johnny for, Depp. Yeah, exactly. He's just being Johnny Depp, and he's. Uh, I don't know. I I don't think I've been excited to see Johnny Depp in a movie since like I don't even know when. So maybe like the original Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but it's been a while. Yeah, man, I am fucking tearing this movie a new asshole. <laughs> you really are. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't really think that you're tearing a new asshole because you're not calling it a piece of shit. I just no, think that you. You, you, I, for me, it just sounds like y- you were let down yeah. by by both the movie and mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to say the promise of the first one, but like the the first one had you in very intrigued as to where this was going to go, and the second one has let you down. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I, I'd say that's a pretty accurate way of of saying it. Um, there there was a lot of doors left open in the first one that left me really intrigued even though again the first movie is not perfect but it, it was certainly interesting and it was definitely a, a good effort put forth and an enjoyable movie in general crimes of grindelwald's uh didn't deliver on any of that promise which is really disappointing because usually when you have something like that where a sequel lets you down this much it's because there's been a change in personnel you know the they've got a, a freshman director because the first one quit or they've got uh, you know, a, a whole team of writing staff, but there's there's just J.K. Rowling and David Yates making a movie, yep. and they've done a pretty good job so far. And uh, yeah, they it kind of let me down, uh, to be honest with you. Fair enough. In case you can't tell. Fair enough. Uh, there's one last thing I do want to talk about. I'll stop. I'll stop on Crimes of Grindelwald for now. There's one last uh, one last thing I want to talk about. Yep. That's the TV show American Vandal. Uh, Manny and I have talked about the show once before, I think, when we did our top five TV uh, TV seasons of 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, American Vandal season one was definitely discussed, um, and it was a really good, really good uh, show for sure. For those of you who don't know, American Vandal season one is a and season two are parodies of 
the whole true crime drama style. So like, sort of you're making a murderer type of shows. Um, and the first one takes place in the high school where there's this kid named Dylan uh, who's accused of spray painting dicks on all the teachers' cars. And it's like, it's played really seriously and uh, played for comedy, obviously. Um, so yeah, the first season was actually surprisingly good. Uh, in spite of the shitty plot synopsis I just gave, gave it. Season two has the same uh, documentary filmmakers, and I say documentary in air quotes that you can't see, uh, dear listeners. Um, but it has these same two students from the original school do their senior project at another, where they're making a documentary about another crime. So in the show, their documentary goes viral, and they have people submitting cases from all over the country of what they should cover next. And they decide on uh, an event they call the brownout. And it's uh, it's equally as childish as the first prank. <laughs> Somebody puts laxative in the school lemonade that everybody drinks. And uh, the entire school shits themselves. And it's, uh, it's really silly and ridiculous. And I quite enjoyed it. It wasn't quite as good as the first one, I'll admit. As the first season, that is. But there's a lot of interesting twists and turns, which I liked about the first one. Um, it, it just definitely entertained me and kept me on my toes. And it's, it's a, honestly a short watch. As far as I know, there are only eight half hour episodes in each season. Um, so you can bang one season out in, you know, not even a night if you want. Um, I definitely recommend you do that for season one. If you haven't watched it of American Vandal, but even season two is quite good. Um, I've talked to some of my friends about it. Not all of them are as high on season two as I am. Um, but I, I think it, it captures a lot. It, it does what a sequel or a second season should do. And that is it captures a lot of what makes the first season good. And then it says, okay, how can we expand on this and make and keep it sort of fresh and original? And I mean, it, it's, it's toilet humor. It's childish. And they, they get a decent amount of mileage out of the poop jokes, but that's not even why I really like this show. It, it is part of it. There's some funny jokes, but it's actually just quite a, it turns into quite a good, serious show towards the end of the season it sort of follows the same mold as the first season where it starts off really silly and then it gets kind of serious and has something to say in it and then the second season gets really silly again and has people shitting themselves in the middle of the hallway and then it actually kind of has something to say towards the end of it um i enjoyed the message of the first season more than i enjoyed the message of the second season as a whole but Overall, I'd say it was a good second effort, which is unfortunate because I believe uh, Manny looks like he's looking or he's trying to jump in and say something. It's been canceled, right? It's not being renewed for a third season. Uh, I think that's what you're trying to say. That's exactly right. Yeah. N- nice call. <laughs> Tell yeah. We've been working together for a while. Hey, you can read my yeah, face. I-, I can totally see it in your face. Yeah. American Vandal wasn't picked up for a third season by Netflix. They are shopping it around to other places like Hulu and, and Amazon uh, Amazon Prime and and other places. Um, I haven't seen American Vandal, um, but I listen to a lot of other podcasts that I will never name because I want you to listen to this one only. Um, <laughs> but all of them that uh, have mentioned American Vandal just go off on how good it is. So this is on my list, um, my ever-growing list of things to watch. Uh, I will get around to it eventually, but I actually have a, a, a lot of – and I don't mean to dismiss American Vandal because the reviews on it have been phenomenal, but I have some really high-rated shows ahead of it in the queue for me to watch. Um, but I am looking forward to watching this because I did hear season one is fantastic uh, and season two is good, just doesn't live up to the the, the heights that the first reached. Um, and again, everyone that I've I've... 
I've listened to uh, is sad uh, that it didn't get picked up for season three uh, by Netflix. Um, but hopefully somebody else will pick it up and uh, it can continue on because, like I said, I've yet to see or hear of somebody that has watched this and not enjoyed it. Yeah, that's it, that's why it kind of came as a surprise to me because, like you said, season two wasn't as good as the first season, but it's still pretty damn good. And this show overall just has it has a lot going for it, and everybody that I've talked to has enjoyed it, and everyone that I've recommended it to has enjoyed it, which is why it's sort of a head-scratcher that, I mean, Netflix is about to have big-time competition yep. with Disney launching its streaming service, so why not double down on the original content that's getting good reviews? I don't really understand it. I mean, every season, or I guess both seasons, have a natural conclusion. So it's not like they left it open-ended for what are we going to do in season three? And I can see that they would probably have problems finding a natural way for these kids who I think are graduating at the end of season two, if I recall correctly, having a natural way for them to make another documentary together. Um, if it's not for school credit, but mm-hmm. Hey, I, I would, I would be there. You know, if, if I saw season three, American Vandal on Netflix tonight, uh, I would go watch it after we're done recording. So, um, Netflix, if you're listening, stop being stupid. <laughs> Pick up American Vandal season three. But uh, yeah, that's just about it. Uh, what I what I've been watching here. There's a couple little ones that I don't really want to talk about. Uh, I've been watching a little bit of Friends, a little bit of Bob's Burgers, and uh, Jeopardy was recently added to Netflix, which I uh, every nerdy bone in my body was just ecstatic when I saw that. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's about it. That's what's been going on in my. Life. Uh, but that's enough of my voice. Uh, Manny, <laughs> why don't we move on to you and uh, give my voice a rest for a second. What is it that you have been watching, sir? Uh, I've been watching a lot. Um, I have, uh, I'm have. i going to start off with some TV. Um, being a huge comic book nerd, um, I powered through uh, Luke Cage Season 2, Iron Fist Season 2, and Daredevil Season 3. These are all the Netflix Marvel shows. Um, Luke Cage Season 1... Uh, I really enjoyed uh, a lot, actually. Um, so I was excited when season two came up, and I actually had to force myself to get through it. Um, I wanted to get through it because I wanted to continually give it a chance, um, but it, I won't lie, it let me down. Um, it, too, was canceled by Netflix, um, but that's because of Netflix's upcoming rival starting soon, and that's the new Disney streaming app coming. I think they've now called it Disney+. Plus. I think that's what they're going to call it. Um, maybe get a fact check on that for you. If um, like. With Disney owning Marvel, um, they're going to be uh, transferring, or I shouldn't say transferring because Disney doesn't sound like they're actually going to be keeping the Marvel Netflix shows alive on their streaming. Um, but they obviously don't want to, uh, Marvel slash Disney's not going to feed uh, product into their competitor. Did you? Is it Disney Plus? It is Disney Plus, yes. Yeah. Um, so Marvel, if if Netflix didn't cancel these, uh, Marvel was going to anyways. Um, Iron Fist Season 2, uh, Iron Fist Season 1 was hands down one of the worst seasons of television I've ever uh, had to watch. And by had to, I mean I had to because I'm a Marvel nerd. And I started it, and I was like, well, I'll just power my way through it. Uh, it was an absolute travesty. It was it was nothing like the Iron Fist character from the comics. It was hard to watch. Um, there was a couple good episodes, but really not much that I, uh, that was worth watching. 
So going into season two, I wasn't that excited, but the reviews on it were pretty decent in saying that it was definitely a lot better, and it definitely was. It still isn't as good as some of the other Marvel Netflix shows, but Iron Fist season two was very enjoyable. I didn't even, at no point did I ever think about turning it off. Uh, I was excited to watch every episode, um, and it was it was good and entertaining. And then we get to Daredevil season three. Daredevil on Netflix um, is hands down one of my favorite shows. Um, they do the character well. Um, it's filmed well. The action scenes are phenomenal. Whoever's doing the stunt work in there is just fucking top notch. And Daredevil season three um, really brings it uh, all the way. Um, one of the things that made Daredevil season one so good um, was the villain. Um, and that's Kingpin played by uh, our friend Vincent D'Onofrio from Full Metal Jacket. Um, he brought uh, a level of um, threat and real character and pathos um, to the character of Kingpin in season one. And he just fucking nails it in season three. Um, it I, I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but the whole... The whole season's just phenomenal. Um, it's absolutely unreal. I, I was so excited. There was some really. There was a couple episodes. Again, a lot of the Marvel Netflix shows are usually a little too long. They're usually about thirteen episodes. They can usually probably get them down to ten, and it'll be just fine. Um, they definitely could have cut a little bit out of this season, but oh man, it was an absolutely thoroughly enjoyable watch from start to finish. And I was actually sad to see it end. Uh, I love what they did with the Daredevil whole series. I love Daredevil Season 3. Um, I can tell you right now, 100%, it's going to be on my top five TV seasons when we make that list uh, next year. Spoilers, uh, man. Damn. I know, but I got I to gotta say it. <laughs> um, the other uh, Netflix show I watched um, is Narcos Mexico, um, which uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Narcos series on Netflix. Um, for those of you that haven't watched them, uh, they I highly recommend them. Um, the only caveat I've I've said when it comes to Narcos is you better like subtitles because uh, Narcos season one is set in Colombia, Narcos season three is set in Colombia, uh, so they speak a lot of Spanish, uh, and then Narcos Mexico set in Mexico, lots of Spanish, so lots of subtitles. Um, this one follows. Um, Follows the drug trade through Mexico and how uh, the uh, – I can't remember his name. Oh, it's going to bug me because I literally just finished it. Anyway, it's a character played by Diego Luna. Um, he is fantastic uh, in this series. Um, I always saw Diego Luna as a little bit of a – even though he played – shit – uh, he was in Rogue One. Uh, Cassian, Cassian. I think his name was Cassian. Um, he kind of played it, like he played a badass in Rogue One. Um, he's he's really good, and he does have a really good arc uh, in Narcos Mexico because he starts off with nothing and then builds his way up, much like in season one and two of Narcos. Um, you see the rise and fall, obviously, of Pablo Escobar. Um, in Narcos, uh, Mexico, you see the rise of this man who becomes the biggest, biggest trafficker, uh, I think in history, um, because it's based in real life. Um, 
you see probably probably after Escobar the the most you he this is the beginning of probably the uh, second most famous drug trafficker and that's El Chapo who actually <laughs> worked for this man um so they they introduce El Chapo and uh I was like oh shit I'm like this will be interesting <laughs> to see where this goes um the I'm uh, sorry if I yeah. if I can interject yeah. quick uh his name in uh, in Narcos is Miguel, and his name in Rogue One is indeed Cassian. Okay. I just thought yeah. Um, Narcos Mexico is definitely worth watching. Um, Michael Pena's in it, uh, and he plays um, a DEA agent uh, called Kiki. Um, I can't remember his last name. I always want to say Kiki Hernandez, but that's the utility player for the LA Dodgers. Uh, so I th- it might be careful, Kiki. Careful, pr- careful pronouncing that, by the way. Yeah, um, I'm pr- it is uh, Kiki Kama, Kamarena. Ah, Kamarena, yeah. And hey, Kamarena. Yeah, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, um, but uh, but I'm going to because <laughs> because it was such a highlight of the series for me. Um, season one and two of Narcos is about Pablo Escobar. Season three is about the other Colombian cartel, and. Uh, because this is about the drug trafficking through Mexico, all the characters from seasons one and three show up in this season. Just and it was so wicked. And um, the actor who plays Escobar in Narcos season one and two, uh, whose name I can't remember. Sam's gonna look it up for me quickly here. Um, he was so mesmerizing as Escobar. And when they, <clears throat> when uh, Miguel goes down to Colombia to talk to the cartels. He talks to the, I think they're called the Brotherhood from season three. Yeah, sir. Uh, Wagner Mora. Thank you. Um, when he goes to talk to the Brotherhood from season three, he talks to them first, and then he ends up going to Escobar. And the way they introduce uh, Pablo, they they give him like a movie star entrance. And if you've watched season one and two of Narcos. Um, uh, Wagner really fucking just nails it as Escobar. I don't know if he acted like Escobar because I haven't seen a lot of footage, but his portrayal of Escobar in season one and two is so good. And so when he showed up in this one, I was fucking ecstatic. He's not in very much, but he is so good. They give him a movie star entrance. He gets a movie star scene. It's fucking phenomenal. Um. If if anybody liked any of the Narcos uh, series, then you're gonna love Narcos Mexico. Um, I I don't want to, even though it's real life, it's based, it's inspired by true events. They obviously play a little fast and loose with with the facts. Uh, I don't know exactly what they what is true and what isn't, um, but I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but the funny thing is, is that this ties into kind. They reveal a lot about this this season in season one of Narcos and I, I didn't really clue in until almost the end. Um, and it was pretty exciting. Um, but if anybody liked, um, if anybody likes, uh, drug crimes or anything like that, uh, I, I honestly can't recommend Narcos Mexico and the entire Narcos series enough. It's, it's extremely well done and, and a really great watch. Yeah. It's been one that I, again, so many on both of our lists. I I think we both have just, crazy big list from talking about as many movies and TV shows that we, as we do. 
but Narcos is one of those ones that has, yeah, gotten insane reviews. I'm looking right now. Uh, Metacritic by season. I don't have Narcos Mexico, but seasons 1, 2, and 3 are 77, 76, and 78. So pretty steady quality. Um, and I, I'd imagine Narcos Mexico is no different. Um, but yeah, it, this whole thing, this whole world does really interest me. The whole uh, drug trade and drug trafficking. I, I love the world of organized crime on, on the big screen and honestly kind of surprising to me that I haven't watched this, especially because I do have no problems with subtitles. I, I always relish the opportunity to watch, watch me a good foreign movie if I can. Um, but yeah, Narcos uh, and Narcos Mexico definitely going on the list. Yeah, dude, uh, I, can't, I honestly can't recommend them enough. I think you'd really, knowing what you like, I think you'd really like these. So going from something uh, fantastic to something uh, really horrible, um, I watched the 2016 movie uh, Live by Night. Uh, it's directed by Ben Affleck, uh, written by Ben Affleck and based on the novel by Dennis Lehane. It has an outstanding 49 Metascore. Um, it's about a group of Boston-bred gangsters set up shop in balmy Florida during the Prohibition era, facing off against the competition and the Ku Klux Klan. This wow. yeah. 49, 49 meta score. That, that's out of fifty, right? That's pretty good. <laughs> um, I'm a huge Ben Affleck director fan. Um Ben Affleck when it comes to acting is either honestly for me is either hit or miss. When he's good, I think he's really good. Not outstanding, like not best actor quality, but he's not he he's I don't even want to say passable. Like I like him as an actor when he's good, but when he's bad, he's really bad. Um, as a director, though, he's fucking top-notch. Um, his previous three films um, are uh, shit. Uh, the Town, which is one of my favorite movies. You and me um, both. Oscar-winning uh, Argo and Gone Baby Gone, which is drop-dead amazing. Um, um, question. Yeah. Uh, did, I wonder if you know this fact. I guess it's just not really a question, but... Did you know that uh, Ben Affleck is one of, I think, three directors all time to have his movie win Best Picture but not even be nominated for the Best Director Oscar? Yep, I sure did know that. I'm sure you know the other two, too, you fucking nerd. Mm. <laughs> I'd have to really think about it. Off yeah, top, I, can, you, I, can, I can get them if you want. You look them up while I blather on about this sh- shitty sure. movie, and then if you, you give me a couple hints and I might be able to guess them. All right, I'll see what uh, I can find. Okay. Um, Live by Night, um, it's a major drop-off um, for Ben Affleck when it comes to his uh, directorial prowess. Um, you can see some flashes of some good stuff. There's some really great scenes, some really great camera work. Um, it's actually it's, – it's not a horrible movie. That 49 Metascore is, is about right. Um, the I really like the ending. Not sorry, not the ending, but the, I guess the the big climax of the movie is done really well. Uh, I won't spoil anything, um, but there's there's just a lot that's wrong with this movie. Um, I wouldn't know how to fix it, perchance. Um, but it, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a letdown. But it wasn't a horrible movie. I didn't hate watching it, but at times I just found myself uninterested. Um, and it's one of the rare times that I was like kind of checking my phone while watching a movie for the first time um not a lot but i just found myself uninterested um but i guess that's about it um it it, it was like i said it was it was fine it is on netflix um 
but it, it's it's long. It's like it's two hours and nine minutes. Uh, so it's not a sit down and easy watch. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know if 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 you're interested in the Prohibition era, if you're interested in Ben Affleck, it's worth taking a peek at. But other than that, I don't really think I could recommend it. Um. Manny, I've I've failed you on the research front. I'm coming up empty on uh, the other best directors to have uh, the other best picture winners to have not been nominated for best director. <laughs> um, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we can find another time. Um, next up, I'm going to persevere because uh, because you're you're in a groove. All right. Uh, moving on. Also on Netflix, um, I've heard great things about this movie. Um, it's a Netflix original. It's called To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Um, it's a, um, it's a romantic comedy, uh, set in high school. Uh, it's, um, directed by Susan Johnson. Uh, it's written by Sophia Alvarez and Jenny Han, or Han, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, I checked, I, I hadn't heard of any of them, and I checked their credits, and I haven't heard of anything they've ever done. Um, it's definitely, uh, it has a 64 Metascore. Um, which I can understand. Um, it almost looks like Susan Johnson. This might be her directorial debut, um, besides a couple short films. I'm just going to double check that. Um, let's see, uh, director. Uh, sorry. Uh, oh, she did something in 2016 called Carrie Pilby, um, which I've never heard of. Um, 52 Metascore. Hmm, never heard of it. Hmm, all right, whatever. Um, I can definitely tell uh, I didn't like I didn't like some of the camera work. I didn't like the cinematography. It almost seemed purposely bad. Um, But it didn't detract from the rest of the movie because this was highly enjoyable. It's a high school high school rom-com. The plot, a teenage girl's secret love letters are exposed and wreak havoc on her love life. And what it is is the main character. Um, I, I love. The, you can definitely tell that they were going for diversity. Um, the lead, uh, the lead actor is uh, Lana Condor. She's an Asian actress of of which Asian descent I'm unsure of, um, but she's got two sisters, an older and a younger. She has a white father, and her Asian mother passed away, um, and she had. I think she's 16 in this movie. Um, she's had five loves of her life, and to help her get over um, the loss of these loves, uh, she writes them a, a very touching and very open love letter, but she doesn't mail them. She has them in this little box, and her little sister finds them and mails them out. And so each one of these five guys uh, come to her, uh, and uh, she's quite embarrassed. Um, one of them happens to be her older sister's ex-boyfriend, and uh, one other is this guy that she goes to school with, and another one is this guy that she kissed in uh, a game of spin the bottle. Uh, one is that she one was a guy I think she went to a summer camp with, and another one is a guy she danced with at like homecoming or something like that. Um, it's really well done. Um, this Lana Condor girl, um, is full of charisma and energy and the script is really well done, um, by these two new writers. Um, it's a lot of fun. 
I the only thing is is I really think that women are this movie's really going to resonate with women a lot more than guys, which of course is definitely a good thing because we've had male-centric films for decades and it's about time that other people get their turn and this really focuses on the women um i don't want to spoil anything if anybody's looking for a good romantic comedy i would on netflix i would of course recommend uh set it up first um but if you're a lot younger because this one's a high school one um this is this will be a very close second uh it's to all the boys i've loved before please check it out it's an easy watch it's only an hour and 40 minutes um i don't remember any like gut busting laugh out loud moments but there's some really cute moments and some really great chemistry between some of the actors um and some great scenes um it's definitely worth checking out if you're looking for a nice romantic comedy and an easy watch yeah, I'm not opposed to a decent romantic comedy every now and again. It, uh, definitely your pitch has uh, sold me on it. Um, obviously, I have a shit ton to watch. Real quick, uh, Lana Condor, born uh, in Canto, Vietnam. I'm sure I pronounced that entirely perfectly. Um, also, I do have that list for you whenever you're ready for it. The directors? Yes, that's right. Okay. Uh, nominated for Best Picture, but not for Best Director. Um, how many are there? There's, there's, a lot. Three, there's only three. three besides Argo, so there's four total. Four total. I'm going to go I, – I actually think one of them is Steven Spielberg. Uh, I don't think so, no. Oh. I'll have to double-check that. Okay, or maybe he got – I have the list of the movies. I'll have to double-check the directors real quick. Oh. Oh, the movies is what you have the list of? Yes, that's right. Okay. Um, do you have the years? I can get the years. I have one of the years at least. Okay. Uh oh man. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need some hints. If you can give any. Sure. Uh okay. let me see. Let's start with the most recent one. I think it's the most recent one. Uh nineteen nineteen eighty nine. Holy shit, okay. Uh any other hint you can give me about the movie? I can give you the director. Okay. Um Oh, wait, is that the whole game? Hold on, I'm getting confused. Yeah, whatever. Just give me the movie. What <laughs> movie is it? All right, so it's uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy is the movie. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to name the director. Uh, Bruce Beresford. Oh, um, have you seen Driving Miss Daisy? I have not. Oh, these are... Oh, I, I misunderstood. These are Best Picture winners. Yes, that's right. Best Picture winners that have not had a Best Director nomination. Gotcha. Okay, that's why I was like, that number seems so low. But I get yeah. it now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I'd be able to name the other ones. Driving Miss Daisy, that doesn't surprise me. Um, uh, when we get to 1989 and you're forced to watch Driving Miss Daisy, you're going to be in a world of hurt, my friend. Oh, it's not a good one? Oh, no. No. It's, <laughs> the, the performances by Morgan Freeman and Jessica Tandy are top-notch, but the movie itself is... Uh, it's, it's, it's It's basically the shining example of the old white man academy voting for a winner <laughs> i love it 1989 totally fits that bill perfectly okay what's the um, next one i would be totally shocked if you got uh, this 1927 classic <laughs> 1927 let's go with um pull something out of my uh, 1927 no i got nothing uh well i'm shocked at that one that you didn't get the movie wings wings uh, wait, Wings. Uh, oh, shit. You're going to name the director and I'm going to get angry. 
Uh, am I going to name the director? Let's see if I got it. <laughs> I'll give you uh, the Jeopardy music. And uh, while the slow internet decides to load. It's like... <laughs> 1927? Yeah, I got it if you need it. Okay, what is it? So, William A. Wellman. Okay, I wouldn't have got it. Okay, and the next one is, is also uh, quite old, and I would be surprised if you got it. Okay, what is it? Grand Hotel, 1932, directed by Edmund Golding. Never heard of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, wasn't that riveting? <laughs> wow. All right. Sorry to uh, to throw a throw a wrench into your mojo. You're really on a roll there. No, that's all. It's all. It's all good. I spent so much damn time <laughs> trying to look that up. There was no way I was not going to say what the movies were. Fair enough. Um, yeah. We're getting close to the end here of the stuff I've been watching. Next up is the 2018 <sighs> Bohemian Rhapsody. This uh, this movie suckered me in with a fantastic trailer. Um, but I also knew going in that it probably wasn't going to be that good because it was a very troubled production, uh, with it being directed by Brian Singer, who was fired, um, before the movie was complete. And I can't even remember who had to pick up the reins, probably the first AD or somebody. Um, it's written by Anthony McCartan, Peter Morgan. Um, this movie is not good. Um, if you are a Queen fan, I think you're going to like it. Um, if you're not a Queen fan, you're going to, you'll probably be entertained. Um, I didn't hate this movie, but this movie, whew, I know that the, uh, rem the three remaining members of Queen are alive and they had uh, huge input on this movie and it shows um, because it paints all three of them as saints. <laughs> there is literally a scene where Freddie Mercury throws this massive party, massive, crazy, raging party, and the other three members of the band are there with their wives, and they leave early because they don't want any part of it. <laughs> it oh, isn't that cute? I'm sure that's exactly how it went down. It literally, like, it was, it was disgusting to watch. The other part, another part of the movie that really bothered me that maybe fans of Queen or people with probably a better sense of humor than myself enjoyed was that Mike Myers is in this movie. Oh, no way. Yes. He, he plays this, um, this uh, record label executive who uh, signs Queen but doesn't really like them and doesn't think Bohemian Rhapsody is going to be any good. And that they'll never amount to anything because that song's too long, which is a funny little play since it's Mike Myers who, as Wayne, brought Bohemian Rhapsody back into the pop culture world relevancy in the early 90s with the Wayne's World movie. So there's a little tongue-in-cheek, laughy, funny thing there with him playing that exec saying that they're never going to do anything, uh, which I didn't find funny. Um, but I'm sure fans of Queen or all that um, – it's oh, it, it was it was so sugar coated, um, uh, and I actually uh, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to a YouTube channel that I really like called um, Oh shit, I can't even remember what it's called now. That's funny, um, but they do top ten lists. Box Office Mojo? No, 
Mojo. Watch Mojo. Watch, Watch Mojo. Mojo. They do top ten lists, and I just watched one. I think it was today um, about the top ten things that Bohemian Rhapsody got right and wrong, um, and they play even more fast and loose with the timelines and the facts about uh, Queen and all that. Um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Remy Malik is really good. Uh, as Freddie Mercury, um, all this talk about him getting uh, a nomination for Best Actor um, would uh, it, it will make me upset. Uh, a Golden Globe, probably an actor. I fucking hope not. Um, he is good, but he's not like can't take your eyes off of him. Good. Um, but all that being said, there was a lot I did not like about this movie. Um, as a music biopic, it is it falls flat um even more so i was even highlighted because um there's a bio music biopic that i'll be talking about next week that is fucking amazing um and it just highlights how bad that bohemian rhapsody is all that being said the last 20 minutes of bohemian rhapsody are worth the price of admission as they 95 percent fully recreate their live aid performance um, the only part they don't recreate is, for those of you that have seen the Live Aid performance by Queen, uh, he sings an Elvis Presley song, which they obviously couldn't put in this movie because they would have to pay for the rights for that song to be there, and it would be as expensive as shit. But all the other songs he sings by Queen um, are recreated by Brian Singer and by Remy Malik. Um, it, it is a jaw-dropping performance at the end of this movie. Um for those of you that don't know about Queen's appearance on Live Aid, um, it's widely considered one of, or if not the greatest uh, live performance by a rock band of all time. Um, if you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. It is mesmerizing to watch this man command the stage and this, I think, off the top of my head, 100,000 people. Um, watch that performance and then watch this movie. I, I won't lie. Bohemian Rhapsody is worth watching for the last 20 minutes alone. Um, there are some things to like in the movie, but for the most part, it, it was... I, I, will, I will probably never watch this movie again, um, but I can recommend everyone else to watch it for the last 20 minutes alone. Yeah, it's disappointing for me to hear that this movie uh, hasn't really lived up to the hype. I'm looking at you know that 49 meta score and really uh, shaking my head because this guy, Freddie Mercury, was truly one of uh, one of the all-time greats in rock i'm one of the few millennials that i know at least that still has a record collection and queen's jazz is uh one of my favorites to throw on um i'm still waiting to find news of the world somewhere but i digress um yeah i'm on the wikipedia page for bohemian rhapsody right now and while you were talking i was just reading through a number of these inaccuracies i'm not going to go into depth in any of them i don't think but my God, they, they really took some liberties with this movie that I wasn't aware of. Um, like just uh, one that really stood out to me. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. The film's treatment of Mer- Mer- Jesus. Let me try that again. The film's treatment of Mercury's HIV diagnosis received particular criticism. Mercury did not learn that he was HIV positive before Live Aid. He may have already suspected that he had contracted the virus, but an AIDS test in 1985 delivered a negative result. So right there, that seems like a pretty big contrivance in his life like that those are two obviously huge events in his life the live aid performance and the the hiv diagnosis that seems a little insensitive 
to me to to sort of mix up the uh the chronology of that for for dramatic effect that strikes me as a little bit fucked up just yeah. i don't know maybe maybe it's treated more tastefully in the movie again i haven't seen it so i don't feel comfortable criticizing it fully but that that doesn't strike me as the smartest decision it's like i said if if it, like i think for i i think for queen fans like um I think for hardcore Queen fans, they're probably going to be a little upset with how fast and loose they play with the timeline and the facts. For those of you that like really know Queen and their backstory and everything goes into it, I think this movie might be a little upsetting. Um, for 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 Queen fans that don't know you know don't know everything about the timeline and all that, but just really enjoy their music, I think they're going to really like this movie. Really like this movie because the scenes that they have where they're creating their songs where they're creating bohemian rhapsody where they're creating we will rock you where they're doing their concert stuff those are really fun and engaging scenes whether or not they're accurate i have no idea but they're really fun and that's where the movie shines is when they're when the band's together creating their music it's the rest of the movie that just is not good at all um Again, like I said, the recreation of live, the Live Aid performance is jaw-dropping, especially if you've seen it prior to this movie. Watching the Live Aid performance for real prior to watching this movie isn't going to give anything away. You're going to be astounded at how well they recreate it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not a Queen fan, but watching this movie, I kind of was reminded at how many great songs Queen has. And that was fun to rediscover. I'm like, oh my god, I forgot that Queen sang that. Oh my god, I forgot Queen sang that. Um, mm-hmm. It it's for someone like myself that's not a Queen fan. Um, at times, I was just like rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh my god, this movie's so bad. Um, you can tell that it lacked direction. You can tell that it lacked a single vision. And like I said, it really sugarcoats the other three members of Queen as I'm not even kidding as literal saints, literal saints. It was it was uh, like I I was guffawing at the audacity of how much those other three didn't live the rock star lifestyle. I'm like, mm, please. Um, but yeah, that that was Bohemian Rhapsody for me. Yeah, that's disappointing to hear. I, I have heard some negative reviews of it, um, but the second I saw this trailer, I was like, yes, this is this is something I gotta check out. Yes. And of course, I missed it because I'm a ter- I'm the worst movie buff of all time, uh, <laughs> with all the movies that I've missed over the last couple of months in the theaters. And this this was one that I was really looking forward to, and I ended up uh, not getting a chance to see. But yeah, it was really disappointing to hear uh, the negative reviews on it. I, there's a chance I might still check it out just because I wouldn't call myself like a Queen diehard or anything, but. You know their most popular songs and a couple of their albums. I I really do like. Um, I actually haven't seen the Live Aid performance, so if anything, I'll check out that. Oh, dude! Uh, after you know. after we record tonight, you're watching it. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll I'll be sure to tackle that. But yeah, disappointing to hear that. I uh, this was one of the ones that was on my radar. Well, this is definitely this is one of the ones where the critics and the audience are not seeing eye to eye because um, the audience score, looking at IMDb, it's got it has an eight point four. On, on IMDb, um, where the meta score is 49. So, like, critics are not liking this movie, and rightfully so, as someone that is critiquing movies. But, like, the audience score in this is just, it's off the charts good. Um, which, I, like, the person I went with, I went with my friend Katie. Shout out to Katie. Um, 
she she really enjoyed it. Uh, and then one of our loyal listeners, uh, Rachel. Hey, Rach. Um, she's a big Queen fan, and she loved it. She flat out told me that she loved it. And she was excited for me to watch it and to hear my reactions. And we had a nice little spirited chat over text about this movie. Yeah, um, well, that, all, all that tells me the difference between the, the Metascore and the IMDb score and your friends telling me that they liked it. That just tells me that you're, you're exactly right, that the, the Queen fans... I mean, A, the people who go to see this movie are going to be primarily Queen fans, I would imagine. There's going to be very few people going into this movie just with zero prior knowledge of Queen. So getting to see an icon and many people's hero uh, in Freddie Mercury portrayed on the big screen is going to be a big deal for a lot of people. And I don't think... I'm I'm trying to think of a way to say this that doesn't sound pretentious, but the, the quality of the movie is almost secondary as long as Rami Malek's performance emulates Freddie Mercury sufficiently, that'll be enough for a lot of people. And I'm not, I'm not bashing that. You're entirely entitled to that opinion. If you want to go see Freddie Mercury portrayed and you want to know a little more about his life, more power to you. Go see the movie. But I, I think for people who go into this movie expecting a film, at least from the sounds of it, uh, we'll be more disappointed. Totally. I, you couldn't have said it better. And Rami Malek, is, uh, he is really, really good. I just don't think he's going to get a, a best Oscar, Oscar nomination. He'll definitely get a Golden Globe because this plays right into the Golden Globe's wheelhouse. Um, but an Oscar nomination, I think, is is a little far-fetched. Um, okay, that's, uh, we're about to wrap it up. I'm on the last movie. I saved this one for last because this is the best thing I've watched in a long... Not in a long time. Um, but I just went to this last night, and it was... It exceeded my expectations. And this is the follow-up... Um, by Steve McQueen, not the uh, Steve McQueen that has died from The Great Escape. Uh, This is Steve McQueen, uh, the director of 12 Years a Slave. Um, This is his follow-up. It's called Widows. Um, It's directed by Steve McQueen. It was written by Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, uh, and Steve McQueen. Um, So right off the top, it's two powerhouse people making this movie. Uh, It has an 84 Metascore. And it's set in contemporary Chicago amid a time of turmoil. Four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by, by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. This movie, uh, starring Viola Davis um, and uh, Liam Neeson, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Colin Farrell, Robert Duvall... Um, it is so good. Um, in the hands of a lesser director, this movie wouldn't be anywhere near what it is today. Um, but some of the camera work, especially the opening, um, the opening scene, uh, it starts off with a kiss between Viola Davis and Liam Neeson. That's maybe perhaps one of the most real and intimate and passionate kisses I've seen on screen in a long time, uh, and this kiss is un- is intercut with the heist that goes wrong where the husbands die, and the film work and the camera work um, alone is just breathtaking. Um, Steve McQueen knows how to shoot a movie, and this movie is elevated by his skill. Uh, Viola Davis is really good in it. Elizabeth Debicki uh, is really good in it. Um, it 
Robert Duvall plays an incredibly racist man, uh, and he drops the N-bomb a few times, and it's pretty phenomenal because uh, he uses it powerfully. And it's uh, it, it sure hits home in today's uh, today's culture. Yeah, on a on a scale from zero to Django Unchained, uh, how how often is it used? Well, Robert Duvall is only in like two or three scenes, so okay, uh, I'd have to go like a two, <laughs> right? Compared so to one Django, of Tarantino's earlier movies, yeah, so like a Pulp Fiction sort of level. Yeah, um, it's so good, but this movie is not about what you expect it to be about. Um, it's not about these women doing a heist to pay off the debt. This movie is about how they deal with grief. Um, there's so many scenes with Viola Davis trying to cope with the loss of her husband. And it's, it's really touching. Um, and it's really great. Um, one of the highlights of this movie for me is this incredible camera shot, uh, all in one take. Um, and it's not a spoiler, so I'm going to reveal it here. Um, Colin Farrell plays this, uh, politician who's running for alderman in a mostly black area of Chicago. And he gives this speech in really what is what definitely like a ghetto. He gets into his car and the camera stays on the outside of the car shooting kind of into the car. But you can't see anything because the windows are blacked out. But you can hear the dialogue between him and his assistant full on. And they get in this big kind of argument, discussion and plan for what they do. He drops – I'm pretty sure he drops the M-bomb. He's he's a, he's not as racist as his dad, but he's definitely racist. And this scene continues on. It's all in one shot. The car's driving, car's driving, and then this car makes a turn. And then the camera turns as well to show the other side of the car. So it's it, when it starts off, you're seeing kind of the passenger side of the car. Um, and then when the car turns, the camera turns, so you're seeing the driver's side of the car. And then like that, you're all of a sudden in this nice neighborhood. So it shows how how quickly these neighborhoods can turn from going from slums to high end. Because when you go in there, you see there's all these brick, beautiful brick houses and these, not high rises, but buildings. Everything's beautiful. And you literally just left the ghetto. And it's all in one shot. And it just shows you how different these areas of the city can be and how close um poverty and rich are to one another and it's it, the camera work sam is it's something you would just admire you'd be like that's fucking well done um there's lots of other things like that um i honestly can't recommend this movie enough it it just came out to theaters if anybody's thinking of going to the movies and you want to see something please go see widows these are the kind of movies we need to support these are the kind of movies that we want to see get made because it's not a franchise it's not a spectacle this is a great great movie i'd like to give a shout out to my roommate riley who went to this movie last night without me so (laughs) thanks thanks for that riley uh perfect oh, when we talk next sam you'll have to let me know what riley thinks because i thought this movie was absolutely phenomenal uh i went with one of my best friends t-bone and he didn't know anything about this movie uh he just wanted to hang out so he came with me uh and he was astounded at how good it was um, yeah i haven't had a chance to sit down and talk to him but i'm definitely curious now i've heard this movie was good uh prior to this but uh definitely not as glowing a review as you've just given it not that i've heard bad things or anything but you've uh I tend to trust your opinion on these things. Thank you, uh, good so. sir. Thank you, good sir. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would I would really love to dive into this movie, um, but I don't want to spoil anything um, because there's some there's some really great moments in this movie that uh, I definitely don't want to give away. 
But I am going to say this. Another person that's in this movie that I forgot to tell you about that I think I think he's an actor of – in my opinion, I think he's an actor that you – I think you're going to start – I think he's going to start climbing your charts. And that's your boy uh, – oh, God. Are you talking about Daniel Kaluuya? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, David? I'm like <laughs> – um, Daniel Kaluuya's in it, and he plays a psychopath, a literal psychopath along the lines of Anton Chigurh. Yeah. We, yeah. we love us some Anton Chigurh here on the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. Yeah, uh, there's, no, a, no, there's, no. A, there's a couple scenes with Kaluuya in, Kaluuya in it that uh, are chilling. He is... He is really, really good in this movie too. Um, yeah, this movie just fucking nails it, man. Um, yeah, so that's that's everything that I've been watching. Well, thanks for that. That was uh, I'd say we we did pretty well on there. I'm looking at the time that we're running on, and damn, we've been watching a lot of shit, haven't we? We sure have. <laughs> that's that's pretty much par for the course, though, at this point for us. Pretty much. Um, before we sign off, I have uh, I have a bombshell to drop on you. Manny's, uh, Manny told me about this before we went on there. He told me he had a bombshell, but not what it was. So uh, I've, I've been itching to hear what it is. Yeah, so um, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and uh, I'm open, open to discussing us expanding, rating our movies out of 10 instead of 5. Interesting. Yes. That is a bombshell. Yes. My goodness. What, what inspired the change of heart? Um... Mostly, it's actually not because I want to give half points, but it appears to be that everybody else wants to give half points. So I was like, well, I'm like, I prefer forcing people to make that decision between a four and a five. And I I want to have this discussion, and then I want to leave it open to our listeners so they can contact us um, through Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore Manny. Or sorry, underscore, Sam <laughs> underscore Manny underscore movie uh, on Twitter and Instagram, or they can talk, contact us on Facebook or through text. I would love to hear your guys' opinions. If you want us to go and change from out of five to ten, I'd be open to it. This is my thing. I understand wanting – basically, this is my understanding. All of you want to have a seven or a nine available. But to me, I honestly have rarely ever seen somebody give something – what's the difference between a two and a three? I've never seen somebody want to give something that low. They're usually like, oh, it's a two. Oh, it's a four. I don't – I understand the wants for seven and nine. I don't understand the needs for basically three. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I know I give you a lot of shit for the, the five-star rating system. Uh, I definitely see – where you're coming from in regards to making people make the tough decisions. Um, and I can see where you're coming from with the, with not wanting the half points, like just, just do whole numbers. Fine. I can get on board with that. What, what I don't understand about it is that when you say, well, if you're going to do half numbers, why not just do it out of 10? And I'm like, yeah, why not just do it out of 10? And that, I understand your reasoning for that. And I, maybe we're, we're getting a little too overboard on this, but I like, Having it out of 10 just feels like a good round number. Um, there is, in my opinion, a difference between an 8 and a 9. Like You said there's not much difference between a 2 and a 3. Okay, fair. Uh, I would argue a couple of the movies we've talked about today might be in that range. Like I would probably give Crimes of Grindelwald maybe a 3. Because um, it really wasn't good, but I found some redeeming qualities in it. 
whether that could be a two would be up for debate. Um, and there's a huge difference between an eight and a nine. And there's a huge difference between a seven and an eight. When you start doing like eight and a half out of ten, okay, maybe we'll back off of that. Maybe Manny is looking enraged over uh, <laughs> over the Google chat right now. Um, but yeah, there there are pros and cons to both. I uh, I just enjoy giving you shit about it way too much. <laughs> I I just for for me personally, I like it. I like it out of five because it forces you to make that decision. Is something a four? Is something a five? Like, if you give something a three, that's a middle of the road. It's a decent movie. If you give something a two, that's right there. That's a failing grade. It, that movie right there lets me know if something scores a two out of five, I'm like, it's a fail. But for me, when people start scoring out of ten, I understand on the high side. I understand the desire for that seven or the nine. So it's you know a three and a half or a four and a half. When you get under five. I honestly don't think people could tell me the difference, what the difference is between something they give a four or a three. I honestly don't think that people would give me a reason why something's a three instead of a four. I can see why they could give me a difference between a seven and an eight and an eight and a nine, but on the lower end, that's where my main problem is. Okay, uh, if I can play devil's advocate, which I guess I've been doing, I, I see your point. You like having gradations, but you like saying, okay, this is what a one represents. This is what a two represents. Uh, and with one to ten, it's it's more of a feeling, I, I guess. Um, so my question to you is, why do we bother with Metascore, right? What do you do? You know the difference between an eighty-seven and an eighty-six Metascore? No, that's that's a small thing. The reason I like Metascore, the only reason I like Metascore is because I fucking hate Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> because Rotten, to- I used to go by Rotten Tomatoes until I actually did the research. And Rotten Tomatoes, all it's doing is it's forcing every reviewer on Rotten Tomatoes to, to it's is it's basically either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Do they give it? If you if when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, if I liked a movie, they're asking when you submit onto Rotten Tomatoes when you're one of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes that they've approved. You, ha- you have to tell them at the end, is this fresh or rotten? So if I somewhat liked a movie, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it's a fresh rating. There's no difference between that and somebody that says they fucking thought it was a perfect movie. There's no difference because we both gave it a fresh rating. So when all those ratings come in and something's like 95% fresh, it could have been 95% of those critics thought it was an okay movie. They didn't think it was bad. They thought it was okay. That would still give it a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the difference. Metascore takes whatever rating system that each one of those critics use and forces it out of 100 to give you a rough estimation of what it should be out of 100. So, yeah, the difference between 87 and 88 is minimal. But it's out of they have it out of 100 because they want that gradients. The difference between on, on Metascore, the difference between something in the 60s and the 70s is big. Something between the 70s and 80s is big, much like you're saying on a scale of 1 to 10. I get it. What I like about fives is it makes you force the difference between what is this movie a three or a four. If I told you, if I, told you I gave a movie uh, like a seven out of 10, You'd be like, okay, he kind of liked it. But if I liked it so much that I gave it a four out of five, you'd probably be more inclined to see it. And that's why I like the lower level of the out of five instead of out of ten. It forces you to make that decision. Is it a, is it a three or a four? I liked it enough. It's definitely a four. Where if it's out of ten, I'm like, mm, I can give it a seven. And <laughs> if, I give, if I give somebody – if I tell somebody a movie is out of seven, 
out of 10, I don't think they're really going to be like, mm, well, Manny said it's a 7. Maybe I'll check it out. But if I give it a 4 out of 5, they'd be like, I'm definitely going to see that movie. Is this what this is all about, Manny, that people don't want to watch the movies that you recommend? No, it that- hasn't. No, <laughs> nothing like that. It's, it'd, be, it'd be the same with you. Like, if you told me, like, Crime, and I'll use this, it's obviously not the one. If you said Crimes of Grindelwald was a 7 out of 10, I'd be like, okay, I might see it. If you're like, it's a 4 out of 5, I'd be like, I better go see that movie. <laughs> That's what it is. It's all about if you shrink it down, and it does come down, it, you can go right down the same thing if you want. Thumbs up or thumbs down, one, one or two doesn't do it for me because you're just telling me that you either liked it or you didn't not how good it is but if you go too high of a score like if it's out of 100 like you said what's the difference between a 75 and a 78 nothing on uh, on the rotten tomatoes versus metacritic note i wanted to chime in i was looking this up while you were talking about it uh i, I wanted to check this paddington 2 which i by the way haven't seen i've heard nothing paddington but 2. great reviews i've heard nothing but fantastic things it's 88 on metacritic it's currently sitting at a whopping 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this movie came out last year. Mm-hmm. So that means not a single person has disliked this movie. Um, but as far as I know, it's not been nominated for any awards. It's not like it's, it's just a very good kids movie, right? Yes. So uh, have you seen it or haven't you seen no, it? No, I have not. Yeah. Okay. I, that's just an example that I wanted to give. Like if we were going by Rotten Tomatoes and I agree with you on this, if we were going by Rotten Tomatoes, this movie would be Citizen Kane. This movie is is The Godfather. This movie is just an all-time absolute classic at 100%. Wow! But, I mean, it's just a it's a very good kids movie, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I agree with you on that point, at least. Um, I, <laughs> this conversation has gone way longer than it probably should have, by the way. This is a lot of semantics <laughs> about five stars stars like i don't hate the five star rating i really don't i just enjoy giving you shit over it so much because i know how passionately you feel about it i Um, i am passionate i'm willing to discuss the option of us going to 10 i'm not saying i will but (laughs) we just had the discussion i'm willing to listen to other people's opinions our listeners can again contact us at sam underscore manny underscore movie and let me know what you think they can contact us on Facebook or text me. Let me know if you – I want to know your reasons. Don't just say I wanted – I think it should be out of 10. I want reasons. Reasons. <laughs> if, we want proofread papers submitted. Yes. Uh, I want – Peer-reviewed es- papers. Yeah. I want essays. <laughs> I want video journals. I want it all. Yeah. All Which right. is another good Queen song, by the way. I want it all. <laughs> I, got, uh, I got one – more good reason for you uh why the five star rating is it is inferior oh, or maybe not inferior but less good all right that's what i still feel really bad that i gave the great escape a two the look in your eyes when i gave the great escape <laughs> a two. you know that movie that was a, that was a five out of ten for me you know it was a passable movie but uh the fact that i had to give it a two seeing the just the look in your eyes manny just, uh, just it, devastated it, me it, it did it did hurt my heart but i like that you gave it you're like uh-uh i'm not giving this a passing grade it's a fail this is a two yeah, i like that <laughs> um okay um so once again please remember to submit your questions for our mailbag episode which will be happening in just a couple weeks so please get those in as quickly as possible you can submit your questions on facebook or you can text us i'm not going to give out our numbers over the air or <laughs> you can contact us through instagram and twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie um 
we are also on Spotify, just like we mentioned. So you can search Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast on Spotify and listen to uh, listen to us there. Again, only the most recent, the ten most recent episodes are available on Spotify. So if you want to listen to our old back catalog, you will have to go to our website, um, which I'm going to get to. You. I've actually we've never actually mentioned our website. Um, it is a very hard one to find, but I will give it to you anyways. Uh, if you just Google Sam Samuel Emmanuel Movie Podcast, uh, it should take you right there. But if you actually want the actual web address, here it is. It is sam-manny-moviepodcast.blueberry, and that's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.net. Not an easy one to type in. Go I'm ahead. sorry, I missed that. Could you just repeat that one time what the website is, please? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> sam dash manny dash moviepodcast.blueberry.net. Yeah, I love hor- it. Horrible, but that's what it is. Um, <laughs> you can also uh, please remember to rate and review uh, to us and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you will give us a five star rating and a review, uh, that will increase our profile and allow us to get more than our Baker's Dozen uh, listeners that we have now. Uh, we would love to grow. Uh, please, uh, if you like this show, recommend us to your friends and, and make them get, or don't make them, ask them to give us a listen and let us know what you think. We love hearing from you guys. I get texts. Uh, I get messages from friends. Um, we love to hear from you guys. The feedback we get is incredible. I'm really looking forward to this mailbag uh, episode we have coming up. Uh, and that's uh, that's uh, that's everything. I think that's all, all, that's all we got. We, I would also love to hear opinions on our, our theme music. Uh, I Again, I know it's not the greatest quality. Uh, it's the best I could do. I'm not an audiophile. I'm not a, a, a music editor. Uh, so if anybody else wants to take a better crack at it, please, I'm more than happy to take any recommendations. You did great, Manny, and Thanks. I thank you for it. Thanks, buddy. So I guess uh, I guess that's it. Sam, you got anything you want to say before we log off here? That's just about it, my friend. I'm ready to go. It's getting late here. It definitely is. So for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. I rate this pause podcast the 10 out of 10, and I'm Sam Reimer. <laughs> Adios! <laughs>